Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Aloysius Cadwallader Wright. <laughs> Today we're talking about Minute 59, which begins with Dum Dum Dugan and ends with a truck with heroic cargo entering the compound. Back on the show, we have Michael Gravano, host of the podcast, The Superhero Show Show, and Movie of the Year. Mike, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about Dum Dum Dugan. I have loved this guy just based on his name since I was a small child. And part of his outfit is a bowler cap. Who is cooler than Dum Dum? <laughs> no one. And someday he's going to have a stick. <laughs> Who needs a helmet when you're in a war? Right. It's like this bowler cap is all he needs. But really, I mean, the thing about this character design is, is like it has become iconic to the point where when I watched this movie, I, I like I hadn't read Captain America comics. I hadn't read any Howling Commandos, but I saw this guy and I'm like, oh, I totally recognize him. Like, it's such an iconic, iconic creation that Marvel had come up with with this. Bowler cat, big mustache. Uh, he's normally like Fury's number two, right? He's, and, and so that's like the weirdest thing is that this guy and Fury will never meet. But uh, yeah, and it's one of those, as a kid, like he he, just, he didn't even have his own trading cards, but he, yeah, he's just, he looks different than anybody else. Very interesting. Of course, he is played by Neil McDonough. Before we go any further, I want to do the IMDb game oh, with Neil McDonough. Goodness. Uh, the IMDb game, of course, is when you try to guess the four films that IMDb says this person is known for out of everything they've done in their career. Uh, so for the two of you, what would you say are the four projects that IMDb's crazy algorithm says Neil McDonough is known for? I will tell you there are three films and one TV show. Just one show. Okay. Then I'm going to flip a coin and say probably is where he started. Uh, and they, he, he's a big part of the Arrowverse. Uh, that as, is exactly where I would have start. I, I would want to start too for TV shows because uh, he was he was on Arrow and then Legends. Uh, he's done guest appearances on Flash and yeah, he showed up in Flash. He, he was a big part of Legends of Tomorrow. His daughter part, right? Mary's one of the Legends. Uh, love Neil McDonough. Uh, so I'm going to go with Arrow. Okay, I I would submit. For and and this only because I just watched it a little while ago and was surprised to remember that Neil McDonough was in it. That'd be Minority Report. That would oh. be the uh, the one for me. He was the buddy. He was his buddy, and then not so much a buddy. <laughs> I always remember he's in Minority Report because he's the one who Tom Cruise jumps on his back like with his rocket pack. And forces force flies him up that like yes, construction up the tube side up of the, the building, and, yeah. and it's a shot of their faces as it's flying, and his face is just like this scream of terror as they're doing it, and that's like burned into my brain. So that's where I always go with him. So okay, awesome. What else? He was in that new crappy Resident Evil movie. I don't. Was he? Wesker? Oh, welcome to Raccoon. <laughs> welcome City. to Raccoon yes, City. He I watched was. part was he of really? it on an airplane, and then I was like, you know what? I'd rather. Stare at nothing, then finish this movie. <laughs> it was so bad. It was, it was not so great. bad. Um, oh, uh, this geez. is a person who's been in fifty-seven movies, and he's he has sixty-six TV credits. So very, very busy in the industry. Um, uh, well, I'll well, I'll tell you. You got Minority Report. Oh, good. But, uh, yeah, that's it so far. Oh, oh, so okay. he's not in the. It's is it 
He's not okay. So the, we the, said the, Arrowverse. The, the Arrow is he none not of the in the Arrowverse. Arrowverse? None of the none Arrowverse. None of the Arrowverse uh, TV what projects. What are we doing here? I'm Oh, what about Yellowstone? Wasn't he in a lot of Yellowstone? I've never watched it, but I've always wanted to. He has been in six episodes of Yellowstone, and that was oh, not. That doesn't really it. count. For... No, I'll just tell you. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, well, you should have guessed this one because he is in this film, and it is one of his known fours. So. Oh. <laughs> Uh, oh, <laughs> I didn't even think about this being <laughs> yeah. possible. <laughs> give me, uh, give me another like hint. Just give me a hint. You got to give me a hint. Uh, I'm well, going to know it, right? The, the, the there was a time travel movie that he did in 2003, and I would not have been able to call him out as somebody who is in it. It was not a very good time travel movie. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to even remember. Here's the here's the what it's about. A group of archaeologists become trapped in the past when they go there to retrieve a friend. The group, timeline. The, yes, Michael the Crichton. group must survive in 14th century France Damn. before they can escape back to the 21st century. I've yeah. never even Michael heard of this Crichton's. One. That um, is a legendary mess, book mess adaptation, adaptation failure. <laughs> So well, bad because he well, it good. wasn't uh, uh, what's his name was in it uh, the Fast Walker. and the Furious kid Paul, Paul Walker yeah yeah yep, yep. yeah mm. yeah that did not uh, fare well but that is one of his known fours and last is the TV show Boomtown which he was in in two thousand two yeah. two thousand three I am not familiar with why Boomtown. is a one year stint on a show not equivalent to his entire arc as Damien Dark in all the Arrowverse. I do not understand that. That's infuriating. I feel a sternly worded letter. <laughs> I will I'm write trying to see IMDb. if you like, won an award for his performance in it or something, because sometimes it will be that. Well, he did get nominated mm. well, by the Online Film and Television Association. I don't know if that really counts, but as Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series. So, yeah, who knows? Wow. Who knows why they, we get these crazy and, algorithms? But, you said you know. 02 to 03? Online was barely a thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, Boomtown. Each episode of the series set in present-day L.A. examines one crime from many different viewpoints. Uniformed cops, detectives, witnesses, the media, the fire department, the rescue squad, even the criminals themselves. Huh. Wow. I don't even remember that show. But um, nope. that was that was his number four. So that's Neil McDonough. And, uh, yeah, and we like him. I think the reason that when I saw him in this film, I said, oh, he's great for this is because I always remember him from Band of Brothers. If I was going to say something for his IMDb, I would have said that. It would have because... been Band of Brothers. You're absolutely right. That's and, actually but, where I kind of put a name to that face. Well, that's why I think he fits so well in this film, because like when I saw that that show, I'm like, he fits really well in the time period. And here he is again mm. in the time period. And so yeah. he, he he doesn't have a modern face. Right. Yeah, if that makes right, sense. Right. It, it makes sense that he would be, I don't know when, but timeless. Like, I think he would fit in like the Deadwood type of era. Yeah. But yeah, it, it makes sense uh, for him to be in World War Two. Yeah. I don't, I don't, there's something about like, it's it's not craggy, but it's I don't know. It, it's this very specific McDonough face. <laughs> <laughs> the McDonough face. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it, I mean, he's been in stuff like Mob City. He's been in uh, stuff like Van Helsing. So he's all over the okay. map in, hmm. in stuff that does feel like it fits kind of, you know, his face in a period. So, yeah, I think that they've latched onto that, too. Well, uh, so we have a moment right at the beginning of this where the guard, I was really trying to figure out who this Hydra guard is. Um, but unfortunately, their faces are generally mostly covered up and very few are credited in ways where it's clear and easy to figure out which one is which. So I don't know who the Hydra guard is, but he's got a great little face and he actually does pop up again 
I believe, in tomorrow's minute. So we will get to see him one more time. Um, but he knocks off Dum Dum Dugan's hat, and uh, and Dum Dum has some choice words. How does this play? Does it? Does this feel like? I mean, you've read the comics, Mike. Does this feel like Dum Dum from the comics, the way that it's written and played? Yeah, I think Dum Dum is always feels like a little laid back on his heels and doesn't take much seriously. So yeah, it, it, it tracks with that because he could die at any moment, right? They're in a Nazi prison and he's still just like, you know what, Fritz, which I feel like is not what you want to call generic Germans. Uh, and he's like, someday I'll have a stick. And and the fact that he still has his bowler hat in the Nazi prison camp is <laughs> absurd. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and we and we should clarify this is the Hydra prison camp uh, because at this point, even though it's not depicted in the film, but it was in that deleted scene, uh, the Hydra is also at war with the Nazis. Oh, okay. There was a deleted scene actually with these guys when they're captured along with Bucky, and and uh, they're fighting the Nazis, and suddenly Hydra shows up, starts killing all the Nazis, and then uh, basically takes everyone captive. Because I know by the end of the movie. Somebody's like, hey, Hitler says stop. And Schmidt's like, nope. Uh, so I didn't realize <laughs> that, that that starts so much earlier in the movie. Okay. Yeah, it's just, it's it, they, they cut the scene and it's not really clear. So I guess that they've just kind of left it fairly vague. But mm-hmm. yeah, it is what it is. We don't really get to spend much time with the prisoners, though. So we're not going to talk about the rest of this. Uh, but do you have anything to say about kind of uh, Dum Dum and his role in the Howling Commandos? I, I, the the Howling Commandos, I think, are so fun, and they they are that weird. And I'm I don't even know if they're all what is it called, like the Legacy Serum or something. That's why the original Nick Fury lasts from the World War II era on. Right. Uh, and some of them are frozen. Some of them also get the Legacy, whatever. But they're, they're just this cool one of the few adaptations of like old Marvel. And somebody's like, no, nah, they're too cool. We should modernize them and just keep them around. <laughs> and I hope that they get like, you know, everybody's getting rebooted and re it'd be so cool to get like a mini series and have them come back. And it does feel, I, I like them. They're really fun. And I understand why, especially at this point in the MCU, but it'd be, it would have been so cool to have like a Disney plus series or something or a movie just about them because they are like this fun ensemble. And and represent, especially when they first came out, just so representative of all kinds of backgrounds, right, and personalities. Absolutely. It's it's a, it's kind of a little melting pot of its own right here with mm-hmm. this with the group. And it changes like over the history of the Howling Commandos, you know, people come and go and right. uh and and you know, it's so uh, I like that. It's it allows for an opportunity to kind of create a group that kind of can also change with time. So I I guess I, I'm not a uh uh, steeped in the arcana of Howling Commandos. Is there a comic run where the Howling Commandos are contemporary? Just some of them show up again. I don't I actually don't know if the group, the Howling Commandos, is in the modern, modern quote unquote, but I do like Dum Dum is still high up in S.H.I.E.L.D. If okay. and when S.H.I.E.L.D. is around and has worked with Fury forever. And everybody else, it might be like their descendants. Yeah. Right, right, right. That's interesting. All right. Do do you think he's wearing the same hat, or do you think he's had to buy a new one? <laughs> it's the same hat, and it stinks. <laughs> and I know that stink. because cleaning out my grandparents, I I got my Poppy Bills <laughs> bowler cap from who knows when, like the fifties, and it reeks of like cigar smoke and who knows what else. So bowler caps in my head, they they just all scent, and it's just like his lucky charm. He has to go into battle with it every time, and it's filthy. Why are hats lucky charms? I don't know. <laughs> it's gross. Why is anything a lucky charm? Yeah. 
Uh, like the the things that the players do in baseball, like in major league or something. Yeah. It's like, really? Uh-huh. That's <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Unfortunate. It is. It is. Um, any last thoughts here in prison before we uh, before we head back outside? I can't wait. I can't wait for Dum Dum to get a stick. That is a great setup. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think a great like right. Think you're a nerd and you just see you, the French guy. I forget all the names, but Dum Dum. But like you just see quick silhouettes and the fr- like the French guy has his beret. So you're like, okay, I recognize that. And then Dum Dum gets a line. What a good tease for what is to come. I, I think it's 100%. just a smart way to get people more pumped for further in the movie you're still in the middle of like it's just so well done yeah yeah it is it's it's and it's very subtle and uh, it's actually an interesting like we don't even realize it yet but we uh, i i guess anyone who was already a fan of the howling commandos would would have recognized it but when we saw during the montage of steve filming that piece of the of the movie where he and the troops were marching and you could tell, oh, it kind of is set up kind of like the Howling Commandos. Like there's that that hint there. Yeah. And now we're actually starting to see people who really kind of fit the bill. It kind of, it does feel like it's building to something, some kind of opportunity for them to all come together. That That is kind of cool the way they do that. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, all we know is that he's coming in here to, well rescue bucky perhaps because he again he doesn't know if bucky's alive or not but regardless he wants to save the rest of the prisoners from the 107th that were captured so yeah um so we're setting up like this is this is a representative of the 107th and we're giving you people that you will recognize or or that have some interesting identity so that it's easy for us as an audience to kind of latch on to them because i mean it could just be a whole group of soldiers and you know just an anonymous bunch that uh, that wouldn't have allowed for us to have that connection and so i i think that this is actually a really interesting way to kind of bring the howling commandos into the story yeah even if you don't if even if you weren't a comic fan or don't know the howling commandos just like like so this guy has like we know the prisoners are going to get are being worked hard almost to death and that they are about to be worked even more to death 60% more uh <laughs> so at this point like he he has in one sentence you're like I care about this guy now he's sarcastic he's courageous like mm-hmm. and it's such a good way to make the viewers care about a, a random character yeah absolutely okay one more prison point oh okay. um the prison guard we don't know who he is but do you recognize any little nuance of his mouth? Does he look familiar? Because he looks killer familiar to me. Like, I, I feel like I know his mouth. Don't know where from. <laughs> I've seen that mouth before somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really creepy when I say it. Uh, so that's that's number one. Where is that guy from? Number two is, do you look at his uniform at the helmet with the with the lenses and you think, yeah, that's probably 10 percent more than what was around at the era. <laughs> Fifteen men uh, on a uh, yeah, stretch. Yeah, they, they're stretching here. I think yeah. they're stretching. And we, of course, in this minute, our first glimpse of lens flare actually comes at second four. We get a little gun in the background, but a glorious backpack lens flare at second eight <laughs> that is uh, begins uh, or continues our comical ascension to lens flare absurdity with the blue goo. <laughs> it is fantastic. Well, and OK, so now I have a question. Well, and I think you recognize his face because he's actually I think you're pre recognizing him because he's also in tomorrow's minute. Oh, good. So I recognize him from the future. That 
<laughs> That's good, Andy. I, I appreciate you calling that out. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> but I do have a question. Do you, uh, so we saw when Steve hopped into the back of the truck, we saw a couple of Hydra agents. Um, at, well, it's actually after this, but they have, um, they, they don't have their mouths exposed. It's a similar kind of look. But Easily got 18% like a... over what was available at the era. <laughs> do you have a preference, though? Do you like seeing the mouths, or do you kind of like the what looks almost more anonymous by having the, the face plates covering their mouths? Which I think is the idea, right? To completely anonymize them so that they can be more of a threat? Yeah, it's scarier. It's stormtrooper-y, right? Yeah, they're scary. They're stormtroopers. Yeah. No, I like them. Black-suited stormtroopers. So you, you prefer the full mask over, I over do. her mouth? I do. Okay. Because then you're just left going, well, who is that mouth? I know your right. mouth. You I know. stare at their mouth, what that mouth do. But it's <laughs> it's just like, even like Christian Bale's Batman gets put, this guy's mouth is getting shoved out. Like, nobody looks cool with the ski mask, with the eyes and the mouth. It always just looks a little goofy. And so, also, like, when they're walking around just together with mouths exposed, do you think it's a, hey, who's that mouth? Hey, right. who's that in that mouth right I there? I recognize that gold tooth. What's up, Bob? Yeah. <laughs> it is a, it, they, the Hydra, um, the offices are ripe for confusion of people yeah. talking oh. and telling secrets to somebody that they think is one person, but it's actually the other because yeah. the mouths look too similar. Do not share office goss because <laughs> you will be telling the person you're trying to talk smack about. That's right. It better, now, it, you, you have to find if it, if you're comfortable with it being on the New York Times, just like I tell my my mom, <laughs> then you can post it in a text message. Now I'm picturing the uh, uh, Zola's assistant who is trying to get him to sign the 60 percent papers mm-hmm. going in and complaining to someone <laughs> who is the wrong person. And now that person is like went Zola's told, brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> All right, so we're out in the woods now. We're we're leaving the prison. We're going out into the woods as we're following Steve, who has a, a very keen sense of direction as he has found his way through the forest, through the fog, in the middle of the night to the Hydra compound after jumping out of the plane far before they were over the drop zone. Um, do you think that it's just an incredible sense of memorization and and like photographic memory when he looks at maps and he jumps out of planes that he can go, okay, I get the lay of the land. I mean, how do you, easy do you think it was to find this place? Well, if everything's become a little more super because of the serum, hearing maybe, and he's like, I hear big trucks in that direction. I'll run towards a road and then jump in one. Well, and don't forget, from above, the entire compound is lit with lens flare. Yeah, it's true. At this point. Like, he's well, literally yeah. dodging the substance of lens flare. Yeah, he's like, who made spotlights? that hydro compound? J.J. Yeah, Abrams? He, exactly. He could see it from above. He knew exactly where it was. I'm sure, I, you know, and he is more super. So. He is. He is more. You know, that is one thing we can say about Captain America. Yeah. He is more, more super. super. The thing I love about him, and this is performative, that Chris Evans... Still, when he runs up, he kind of runs up in a crouch and he has his toy shield on his back. And he he <laughs> is a, a tough guy. Shield, Pete, not we a know. toy. <laughs> it's a toy shield. <laughs> and he is a tough guy. And we know he has the brawn now, but he still has a little bit like if he didn't think, I think I'm going to conjure Tom Hanks from big in this in this run up to this thing the look on his face that look of wonder the eyes looking up and his mouth is constantly just open too much 
I, I love it. I just love it. It's such a little note, but it feels to me like he's he is a puppy with giant paws and giant ears, and he's still growing into himself. And this is his first big caper. <laughs> and and it's it's so pre late eighties, early nineties action hero, right? Where he's not saying one liners and being grizzled and cynical. Like he he has that throughout this, and he'll grow in, in subsequent movies. He'll get more not jaded, but he'll be more like seeing this before. Uh, and so yeah, this one he's just like, isn't this wild? Even though his friend might be dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If Bucky were here, he wouldn't be able to believe this. Like, this is amazing. Based on what you said, Pete, now I want to picture that that Chris Evans actually brought Leander Dini with him everywhere he went and had Leander perform the scene first so that he could see how the little person does it. And then he's just imitating him, just like God, Tom that's Hanks did like with the, heroic with the kid and demeaning at the same time. <laughs> Who is Leander Dini? <laughs> he he played puny Steve, the 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 body double for him. Oh, OK. Yeah. So, yeah, so seeing how the little guy does it. <laughs> <laughs> you go go run and see so I can mimic. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Now, so Steve sees the compound and we get to kind of a, a glimpse. I don't know. It's it's lights and fog and kind of a building of some sort and a fence. We don't really get to see a whole lot of the compound just yet. You can kind of tell there's something through the fog, but it's very hard to tell. So not much, but Steve knows he's in the right place. And we get what I think is perhaps the most Indiana Jones moment of the movie. And coming from Joe Johnston makes perfect sense. But he runs up behind the last truck, hops in, sees two two hydro guards in there, says, hi, fellas. And then you get a cut to the exterior of the truck as there is a skirmish and you just see the the fabric of the of the truck, like getting poked up in uh, in different spots as people are hitting it before the bodies fall out the back. (laughs) What? How does this play for you two? Does it work? Do you like the 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 way the the Joe Johnston sensibilities of it? Delightful. Can you even I mean, don't you hear the trumpet? Like, I can hear the whole thing. Yeah, it's Indiana Jones. I I can't point to a specific scene in that, but it is exactly that. I have that written down when I watch it. It just has that vibe because, like, choreography and fighting is hard back in the day, so they just wouldn't show it. And it it has that that, that old school sense. And then, especially when we're building up, there's going to be a big fight. It's a lot of fun to not show us it yet. We haven't seen him, like, in action in a fight in a while. Or no, he's mostly been running around like if ever, right? So to 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 slowly just build up, build up before we get like a climactic big fight is so smart. God, you're so right. Like conjuring that image of like grown men in the back of this truck slapping canvas to make it look like there's a fight going <laughs> yes. on. Like grown man slaps canvas is in the the scene instruction for this <laughs> sequence is amazing to me. They're just giggling so to each good. other. <laughs> They'll never guess. <laughs> I like to picture like Joe Johnston actually back there. This is going to be my cameo, everybody. Yeah, I'm just right, going to be right. hitting the hitting the, the canvas of the truck. <laughs> oh, it's so fun! They're, the the crew is all being super careful. We, we got it. We got to tie you down. We don't want you to actually fall. Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Three safety need, people. We do need the director. <laughs> so, uh, because so he did the Rocketeer, right? Yeah. Uh, and then this. So what 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 else is in his oeuvre? I could have looked it up. I forgot. Uh, well, he started, I mean, if you haven't seen the the uh, uh, Disney Plus um, docu-series Light and Magic, 
Uh, it's absolutely worth walk, uh, watching. It's all about kind of the the foundations of industrial light and magic and all the special okay. effects and everything. He got his start doing special effects with those teams through all of their early films. And then actually, uh, George Lucas like paid for him to go to USC and, and wow. learn to be a director. From that, he ended up getting Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which was his first movie. Again, going into kind of big effects sort of things, yeah. right? Uh, and then he did The Rocketeer. He did some of the Page Master, uh, like all the live action stuff, the little Macaulay Culkin bo- uh, movie, Jumanji, the original Jumanji he did. And then he did October Sky, which fits for his like biopic of sure. the, uh, the rocket, the early Man to the Moon era. And uh, then Jurassic Park 3, Hidalgo, The Wolfman, which we talked about on a hiatus episode. And then he did this. So, wow. I think there's one two of his movies i haven't seen i love this guy i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> kind of hard not to like he's he's great i jurassic park 3 for me is um like my second favorite jurassic park film um yes it might even be my first i i just think it's such a like a just a dinosaur monster movie it's like exactly what i wanted out of it you know and the, and the lameness of the other ones isn't in it yeah i yeah thank you andy i've met <laughs> nobody else because i'm like right. it goes one three we're in a camp of our own <laughs> notice pete's not saying anything he's like oh, you guys <laughs> are crazy you guys have said it all <laughs> you got william h macy it's great it is fantastic so much fun and the first time we get like the the pterodons, so mm-hmm. well that was the great one because that was the one where they go parasailing and they get picked off while they're up on the <laughs> yeah. rope. That was amazing. You're right. That was fantastic. More it's... air fishing by airborne dinosaurs. And that's what it's great. They're like, how many? It's just set pieces. Yeah. We'll just run from set piece to set piece and screw right. plot, and it's, it's awesome. <laughs> yep. And you have the yep. little jungle boy, like their their kid, the rich people, their kid has just been lost yep. on Isla Nublar <laughs> forever. Like they're like, I get, let's try to track him down. I hope our ten year old survived these dinosaurs for months. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nonsense but i god it's just so much fun and when the phone is ringing like inside the dinosaur <laughs> they realize, yeah, oh, that's right. so uh, here's a just an interesting thing in terms of him um you know what he is up to coming soon uh, apparently in pre-production is a re- reboot of Sh- of honey i shrunk the kids it's shrunk with rick moranis and josh gad what um, I guess playing this playing it's, his son is that a thing? Yeah, it. The, I think that his it's a, um, he, the, it's, it's now his, his son. Yeah. It, well, yes, the son has grown up now, and he's continued his dad's experiments, and then he, I think, uh, might shrink like his whole family, including mm-hmm. his dad, played by Rick Moranis. So, well, uh, I I would I would absolutely see that. It's it's you know I because I like the I thought the first one was funny and the yeah. others. I was a projectionist during Honey, the era of Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, and I watched that movie way too many times. <laughs> and so I'd be excited for this one. And then The Chronicles of Narnia is back with the silver chair, and he has been announced as director. Okay, the silver chair is dope. It is weirder and darker. Yeah. Yeah, they're finally continuing the franchise. It's it's one of those franchises where it it's okay that things change because the books are all like different characters. They're all crazy. And, and now yeah, they're grandkids they're or whatever. Right. And yeah. so it's it's fine that it takes time and uh, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, just listen to this this is the the IMDb synopsis of the Silver Chair. Jill Pole, Eustace Scrub, and Puddle Glum, the Marsh Wiggle, love Puddle Glum, the Marsh. <laughs> set off on a journey to the land north of Nardi in order to rescue King Caspian's missing son, Rillian. I can't get enough of Puddle Glum because Eustace was the the new whiny kid in yes. 
Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and now this was Eustace's story where he's like, oh, I've done this before and I'm humble now. Yeah. Uh, and Puddle Glum is Eeyore if he was like 100 pounds and nine feet tall. Like he's this weird spindly <laughs> thing. Exactly right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, so. Well, I'm glad that they're finally doing that. And yeah, Joe Johnston, I think, is going to be a good choice for that. Yeah, me too. He did do After Captain America. He did do Not Safe for Work, which uh, I don't know anything about. It was an office worker is trapped inside the building where a killer is on the loose. That sounds very different oh, uh, that's for Joe Johnston. a different vibe, yeah. Yeah, and then he did, I, I think he ended up kind of being the person who came, who they brought in to kind of rescue the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. That was one of those films that I think was just a big old mess, and they needed somebody uh, safe to kind of just, you know, land the plane and so um <laughs> so he took over from lassie hellstrom and finished the film did either of you see that one i, I that's one no. that i haven't i no. i mean i heard such bad things about it uh, although now i feel like i should just out yeah. of curiosity and just right. you know, just to really kind of flesh out my joe johnston filmography yeah and it's all connected from fritz of the nutcracker to fritz of this minute we're talking about oh, <laughs> amazing. Circle. circle of life circle of life there it is well that that takes us back to the nutcracker has a lot of shiny things and so does second 58 <laughs> yet again marshalling our journey toward absurdity of lens flare you just love the lens flares there is a lot and that's but what's funny know, the... is like this is this is a great second like this frame is great because you know that some of the lens flare is legit anamorphic, like artifacting, and it looks really good. And some of it is blue goo manufactured <laughs> lens flare. And I love these the the way the effects work. I mean, it just looks it looks good. It's stupid still, but it looks good. So, <laughs> hey, sometimes stupid is cool. If it looks good, <laughs> it's worth cool. it. That's right. Sometimes stupid is cool. That is right. <laughs> Uh, this uh, was filmed. I haven't talked about that uh, yet, but this was filmed at the, I don't know how to say this. It's in Wales. It's the Carwent training area. It is a defunct military base, and they use this as the exteriors here in Krausberg. It's a very tree-filled area. They do not have any giant, giant buildings. It is all the small buildings and the the parking and stuff that they used. Obviously, the big one, is, the big building that we'll we'll see soon is completely uh, digitally created, but, uh, but the, you know, the other, the rest of it feels pretty good. I like, I actually really like this first tower that we have as, as we come in, it looks like a funky, like a holster on a gun or something like the handle. It has this really strange shape to it. And I, I don't know if that's real or not, but I love the design of that. It just is, it's really cool looking. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't, I, oh, oh, and this is our introduction very briefly. But if you're watching as the trucks go past the entrance, you get the light shining on a Hydra cycle. Here we go. Hydra and their vehicle designs are spectacular. It does make me wonder why didn't they do anything fun with the trucks? Because the trucks are just trucks. <laughs> Maybe they just stole the trucks. <laughs> they just borrowed them. Yeah, they just took them from the Nazis. I mean, the tr these trucks aren't even branded. No, they're not. We'll see, I think, in later minutes that they've branded all their tanks with their Hydra skull. Yep. Yeah, yep. like I'm looking on the side of their, uh, like of the one on the, the 58 second frame, it actually looks like like a Switzerland park and rec symbol. Like it's it's com it's completely non-Hydra. I don't see any I don't see any tentacles at all. Do you think they borrowed these from the Swiss? They do you think they came back from a fondue party? From the fondue yes. party. That's exactly where I was going. I'm glad you picked that up. I dropped they it. They signed them out. Right 
on a clipboard and we're like, we'll yep. see you tomorrow. We will bring <laughs> them exactly back, right. fill up the gas. Uh, but the hydrocycles, I, I do. Uh, well, I guess we'll talk about them a lot more when we see them. But uh, like when we actually see them in action here, we just get to see them sitting there. Um, but it is a great introduction. It's it is. You know, this is a moment where we have the Chekhov's hydrocycle is what we really have here. <laughs> We have not been cataloging Chekhov stuff at all this week. We have Dum Dum's Chekhov stick. <laughs> that's right. And that's why well, I think that's that feels like maybe it's a screenwriter, but that feels so Joe Johnson to me of like very, very just sprinkling in these things. So you future remember like the guy's mouth. You know, I've seen this before and I love it. <laughs> I love that mouth. Oh, give Can't me that mouth. It's the Chekhov mouth is what we have. <laughs> It's like, when will that mouth be used again? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think we can put a cap in it for today. Any last thoughts about anything in this minute as they pull up to the loading docks? This cannot end soon enough. (laughs) Really, like, I don't know why they did this. It's not needed, but very cool is the three trucks all choreographed like go together. They all turn in the minutes or seconds 57, 58, 59. Uh, it's the three of them are in perfect ballet unison. And I'm like, I, it's just very soothing. I enjoy it. I don't know. There was no need to do that. And there's no way in hell soldiers would do that in real life, but I like it. Well, it will lead to a question uh, in tomorrow's minute that we'll get to. I'm sure. It's uh, also so, very much a, like a Steven Spielberg thing, right? That feels oh, yeah. very mm-hmm. much like something that would happen on base in the desert uh, in Indy. Well, that makes sense for Joe yeah. Johnston. Right. Coming from that uh, that filmmaking family. So if you scrub back and forth on those seconds, it makes it look like they're dancing. (laughs) (laughs) It's all a ballet coming back to Nutcracker. (laughs) There it is. All right. Well, Mike, uh, tell everybody about your shows and where people can tune into them. Yeah, you can find me over on the Superhero Show Show, where every week me and my compatriots watch and review every single live-action TV show based on comic books. Uh, Also at Movie of the Year, where each season we pick a year, build a bracket to define the definitive movie of that year. We are wherever your podcasts are sold, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I prefer Overcast. Indeed, Overcast. We love it. Well, uh, check those shows out. They will all be in the show notes. Uh, Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And Pete, thank you as always. Andy, you know, tomorrow, Minute 60, Pete's favorite mouth. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.